Hello, and welcome to the Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Ruth Haley Barton, and we are in season 22 of the Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. And it is our pleasure to welcome Dr. Kurt Thompson as our guest for this season. And uh, we are actually introducing this season in the season of Lent. And this is our way of walking through Lent together, walking through one of the significant seasons of the church year. And in this case, we are going to go deeply into the subject of suffering because we know that the Lenten season has to do with uh, Jesus' experience in the wilderness, that Jesus' experience in the wilderness kind of gives us our structure and our focus for the Lenten season, but we also know that the Lenten season culminates eventually in Holy Week and in walking with Jesus through his sufferings and through the crucifixion and burial on the way to resurrection. And so the resurrection is our deepest source of hope as Christian people, and so it seems like this whole idea of The Deepest Place, Kurt's most recent book, The Deepest Place, Suffering and the Formation of Hope, is a beautiful reflection for us to help us to walk through the Lenten season together. I want to mention that Kurt is a friend of the Transforming Center. He's a friend of mine. He's someone who's been with us in the Transforming Center, uh, both through his writings. We assign The Soul of Shame and Anatomy of the Soul, two of his prior works. We assign those in our Transforming Community experience. And also, Kurt has been with us in our alumni setting as well. He's a psychiatrist and a speaker and an author, and he connects our intrinsic desire to be known with the need to tell truer stories about ourselves, showing us how to form deep relationships and to discover meaning and to live integrated, creative lives. And we will see this season as an integrative sort of season where we are integrating our psychology, our spirituality, and our life in our bodies. And so I hope that you experience this as a time of having all the pieces of yourself coming together and coming together within this conversation about this really universal human experience. Even though it might not look like it, uh, we all suffer. Many of us suffer in hidden ways and no one even knows that we're suffering, but it is a part of being human to suffer. And we're going to talk about that as we get going here. And so I just pray that in our way of um, approaching this subject, that we have an integrative experience bringing all pieces of ourselves together in God's presence. So welcome, Kurt. How does it feel to be here this morning? (laughs) (laughs) Ruth Haley Barton. Oh, my goodness. When uh, my assistant informed me that you all had invited me to Mm -hmm. do this, I nearly came out of my shoes. So I, with with delight, I'm just so, it's it's such an honor and it's very humbling to be invited to do this because I, and, and not least being this particular topic, because mm-hmm. I mean, we're, we're at a time when, as we like to say that it's it, the Christian story, the biblical story is the only story that we have on the planet that honors suffering. Mm-hmm. And I can't think of a better place than here on your podcast to, where where you all are doing literally that work of transformation and um you know well no god works. is doing the work we're creating yeah, the space yeah. let's just be clear well, about that well, yeah I know, all right right i mean <laughs> yeah. but i mean but if we don't mm-hmm. but if we don't cooperate yeah, like there's no exactly. work for him to do that's right and and so i'm i'm just really thrilled for uh your listeners for our listeners here to be engaging in this because it's really hard stuff this thing of life mm-hmm. and um i'm just really grateful to be able to have a conversation with you about it. 
Oh, thank you. And it's hard for me. I can't I can't overstate how important your work is to us in the Transforming Center. Oftentimes, I mean, we assign four books per quarter. And mm -hmm. so the Soul of Shame and Anatomy of the Soul are, are in that set of things that we require. And those always come up as being the most impactful for people as mm -hmm. they read them. Mm -hmm. And so your voice and your presence mm -hmm. and your journey is mm -hmm. really important to us here in the Transforming mm -hmm. Center, which makes this this conversation really important and I think our listeners are going to be really receptive to it because we already have a relationship with you and and I appreciate our friendship too and I feel like that gives us the chance to have a real conversation versus just an interview which makes me very excited as well that we're going to be it's going to be a mutually enriching conversation for the two of us as yeah. well as whatever it is that our listeners are able to glean from it yeah. so thank you yeah. so much for yeah. investing no, in us thank in you this thank way. you for inviting me mm. yeah, it's a pleasure well, I want to get started by asking you to tell us a little bit about why this book, why now, because you know you've written you know many significant works, but this newest one, the deepest place, suffering and the formation of hope. Where does this book come from inside you? Why is it so important to you to have written these things? You know, it's it it I, I have a picture in my mind mm -hmm. of a moment in one of our confessional communities. We might talk a little bit about that. One yeah, of these we will. groups, the way they were. Mm -hmm. the, in, in one of the moment with a, with a patient who has done a, a, a lot of work over the course of 25 years. And I think of, and when I think of her, I think of all the many people who've been through the Transforming Center, who have, you know, the years of work that people have entered into that process. You know, it was a situation in which we, we like to say, we, we, we wish that we could get to a point in our life where we are so well developed that we just never like nothing phases us anymore mm -hmm. our, our all the work that we've already mm -hmm. done we get to a point where we really no longer have to do that work mm -hmm. i mean we yes we know that we're not you know, we'll be doing work until we're dead but we don't really want to do that we think we're going to reach a benchmark mm -hmm. a place where i'm no longer going to suffer yeah and it was in a moment it was a poignant moment in which this woman, who has done a ton of really effective work, had had another, yet another encounter with aging parents mm -hmm. who continued to behave badly and were reactivating old things for mm -hmm. her. And she was, in her anguish, saying, why after 25 years of all this work am I still in this place that I feel like I can't escape? And the anguish mm -hmm. that she's expressing. And it hit me, this notion that this suffering comes as it, it, it just, it, it is a thing that we live with. Yeah. And, and I think that one of the things, and, and we, you know, we, I think there's, a, there's an example of a, of a patient in the book where it is the acknowledgement that suffering is what's happening in the room. Yes. Is really... It's important for us. We can mm -hmm. talk about, we can talk about where we come from, you know, in our anthropology and our neurobiology and all those kinds of things. And at some point, we have to acknowledge that even as we are doing all of this work that we are allowing God to do, that at some point we have to acknowledge that this whole thing is a journey in which suffering is always potentially at our heels. Yeah, and it is the acknowledgement of that that really just jumped off the page mm -hmm. at me and I found it frankly to be really resonant with my own life 
I mean, it's like she says that, and I think everybody in the room was saying, yeah. And so to have someone acknowledge that everybody's working really hard and working for a really long time and the suffering continues, not because you're stupid, not because you haven't worked hard enough, not because you're not praying enough, not because you're not being the right Christian enough, but because evil intends to devour us and this is the world that we live in, it, I think it just evoked in me this longing to be able to uh, say this, to acknowledge this, because it feels like this is what God does when he sends Jesus. Mm-hmm. He, he comes and says, this is really hard, and I'm going to crawl into this with yes, you. Yes, yes. And I'm not leaving the room until this is done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, what I also hear in what you're saying is that it's this, we, we think we're going to escape our humanity. You know, yeah. when you talk about suffering, um, we think that there's going to be a point where stuff doesn't hurt anymore or stuff doesn't activate us anymore or whatever. And in some ways, we're talking about being less human, you know, that there's going to be a point where I'm not as human, where stuff doesn't hurt and affect me like it used to. And what you're saying is this will be a part of our experience while we are here on this earth. So we better get in there and really deal with it as as just a part of our humanity. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to pause this for a second and Mm -hmm. say, like, I, you know, as, as we mentioned, when I was with you all, back whenever that was we think maybe we think it was 2017 or something like that somewhere in that range Mm -hmm. i remember having a conversation with you at a time in my life when i was just not in an easy place Mm -hmm. and to have that be acknowledged by someone who's not anxious about it this was you Mm -hmm. you acknowledging it without being anxious about it without being condemning about it that in and of itself doesn't necessarily eliminate things, but it gives me something to hang on to mm-hmm. that necessarily transforms the way I am in that particular mm-hmm. suffering. And so, you know, I, I think about that conversation as one of a handful of ones that were really poignant for me mm-hmm. at that period of time in my life. And I mean, that, that, again, this, this notion of acknowledging and being with people in their suffering and then in that way allowing the suffering, allowing God to use that suffering to transform us into who he wants us to become. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I remember that moment too because there you were as our speaker for the weekend. Mm-hmm. You know, you mm-hmm. were coming in as our professional speaker, mm-hmm. but then you and I were also able to just be in the real stuff of it behind Mm -hmm. the scenes. And Mm -hmm. I think it made the connection more powerful. I think it made our ministry together more powerful that we were, yes, really benefiting from the expertise that you have, but at the same time, you know, we were also together in the human, in our humanity, in Mm -hmm. this, Mm -hmm. this universal experience of passing through times of, of real suffering. And that that doesn't disqualify us. It doesn't weaken us. In fact, it actually strengthens our ability to, to go forward. And it was powerful, and it was also part of why I was excited about this conversation was just to continue the relationship, you know, that began Mm -hmm. back there and that was impactful for us both. Well, thank you for sharing sharing with us just a little bit about where this book is coming from and you. And and one of the things I appreciated in, in delving into your book was that you are still a practitioner. You're someone who is still meeting with clients and still very deeply with people in their human journey. And so that's, you're not just in some ivory tower. You're still walking with people in their sufferings along with being attentive to your own suffering. So I I really did 
appreciate that quite a bit. I'm, in a minute, we're going to talk a little bit about some definition of suffering because mm-hmm. I think it's been only recently that I've become aware that there is a difference between pain and suffering. There's a slightly nuanced difference, and you make mm-hmm. that distinguishment in your book, and I want to talk about that in just a moment. But let's first of all talk about the part of you that uh, really does value interpersonal neurobiology. I mean, that's that's uh. where you're writing from all the time yeah. is your passion for interpersonal neurobiology. That's your yeah. field, not only of study, but I also feel it as a passion within you. Why do yeah. you find, can you define that for us? Because it's going to be foundational throughout this season. And also why you're finding that that approach to be so valuable in your work with people. Yeah, yeah well, you know, you know Ruth, I, I have to say, it's not like, I planned this out, mm-hmm. you know, back 20 years ago yeah. when this field began to emerge. But one thing that I think we, we, you and I, I mean, I, I mean, I think one of the reasons to me, one of the reasons why the work that you all are doing at the Transforming Center is so important is because it is really inviting people into a space of grounding that allows people the opportunity to encounter God in ways that are so much deeper than the kind of common, typical way that we do in our Western culture. It really invites people into a space where they are given the opportunity to take the time, where they're given the opportunity to do the kind of work that is necessary to do, that is not easy for us to do all the time, to make ourselves available to God. And, and, and one of the things that I see in the work at the Transforming Center is you are engaging in the kind of what I would call material world work that is necessary for us to be able to live in the world. Not unlike the early Hebrews were given the tabernacle as a material world way of encountering God in that way. And we... In the, up through the 20th century and into the 21st century, if you hear most sermons, if you encounter Jesus in most ways, the way the gospel has been talked about for the last 100 years is kind of lost on us mm-hmm. because it doesn't really have much material world connection to us. Yeah. You know, when someone reads me the text, therefore your lives, you, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God from Colossians. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that's gorgeous. I have no idea what that means. <laughs> that's exactly right. Yes. I have no idea what that means. Right? You yeah. can tell me, you can tell me, oh, cast mm-hmm. your burden. Like Jesus says, come unto me, all you heavily. And I'm like, I don't know what that means. Mm-hmm. What, what does that mean to do that? Yeah. And and so what, what interpersonal neurobiology, mm-hmm. first of all, is, it is a, a kind of a warehouse, if you will, of all the scientific disciplines that have a stake in both asking the question and answering the question, what is the mind? And then also exploring what does a mind look like when it's flourishing? And there are lots of different scientific disciplines that are not just in neurology or neurobiology. This includes philosophy and anthropology and other things as well. But all those are collectively in this gathering of sciences that we would call interpersonal neurobiology. The beautiful thing about so much of this is that it speaks to the material world. And then I read in Romans 1 verse 20, where Paul writes and says, from the beginning, creation has spoken to humankind 
of God's glory, of, of God's nature and his power. That if we look at the natural world, if we look at creation, and what we're looking at with interpersonal neurobiology, when we look at how the brain and relationships mm-hmm. interact with one another, mm-hmm. and how all that comes together, we are given the, the material world the opportunity to speak to us in ways that our typical way of preaching from the pulpit has kind of lost its ability to do. And as Paul talks about in, in Acts 14, where he says to the Lakotians, look, God never leaves himself without a witness. And for me, I see my role as, you know, we preach the gospel in the language of neuroscience. And what we're saying by that is that interpersonal neurobiology is God's created world that he is now also going to use to remind us of what he's really talking about in the text that gives us an opportunity to say that when he, when he talk, we'll talk about perseverance in this conversation. When we talk about perseverance, it's actually helpful to know the perseverance is related to a thing called neuroplasticity mm-hmm. that's related to how our neurons mm-hmm. strengthen the more we practice doing certain things. Yes. And when people, I tell people, look, if you go to the physical therapist and they give you an exercise to do and they give you hundreds of them, if they get out a mannequin or they get out a skeleton and they show you exactly what they want you to do and how that's going to change things, you are far more likely to do the exercise. And it's the same way. What we find is that as we include this awareness of how the brain and relationships work with one another, it helps people make an embodied sense, if you will, of what their faith experience has been about. Mm-hmm. And I think that we've, we've watched people incorporate this in such a way that they report that their experience with Jesus has been transformed. And I would say this is not because of something. You know, this is not new information. We are kind of talking about it in a new way. But this is the way the world has always operated. It's just a beautiful way for us to say how the material world is reflecting what the text has told us from the beginning. Right. And to me, that this neurobiology and the forming of neural pathways or neural networks is one of the most exciting things about the spiritual practices and why it, it defines why they are important and why they are effective. Because you are actually literally by practicing forming new ruts and grooves in your brain. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's a physio- so transformation then is a physiological thing that takes place in the body as mm-hmm. well as on other levels as well. And I think this is really exciting for, you know, spiritual transformation. Those of us who are really thinking deeply about this is that it's not something that just happens in your prayer life or on some psycho-spiritual level. I mean, it happens physiologically in your body as you practice and, and allow those practices to form new neural networks in your brain. I think that's one of the most exciting things that the study of the brain recently has given us is mm-hmm. that yeah. we really can change and transform on those levels in our bodies. And it happens in our bodies, not just in our right. minds. Right. Well, I think we live in a world in which over the last probably four to 500 years, there has been a separation between the material world and the spiritual world. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that this does for us, if we are open to it, is that it allows God to do what God has always been doing, which is talking about human beings as whole people. We're not people who have a spiritual life over here and a material life over here. Uh, We are dust and we are breath. And if you take either one of those away, we stop being completely human. And this tends to remind us that God is serious about our bodies. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, and and which which is why the resurrection is such a big deal. Mm-hmm. Yes, that he has mm-hmm. he has he has every intention of giving us new bodies because mm-hmm. he has every intention of us living as kings and queens yeah. on the earth. Mm-hmm. Well, friends, we want to take a break from our conversation with Kurt and let you know that Transforming Community 20 is beginning in April, April 21 through 23. And if you've been drawn to the communal aspects of what we've been talking about in this season, um, then this opportunity would be for you. One of the things I've been struck by, and it surprised me just a little bit as we've done this season, is that there's been such a theme, a thread running throughout every single episode about the significance of what Kurt would call confessional communities, we would call it transformation forming community, you might call it covenant community, but communities that are actually formed and structured for us to be present with each other on the road between the now and the not yet, the road where we are present with our suffering or our traumas, but also the place where God's visiting with us and we have a community that can help us pay attention to how Jesus is visiting us on our road. And so if you have felt our experiences and our descriptions of that kind of community to be compelling, transforming community is coming up and it will actually not happen again until 2026. We're moving to a pattern and a rhythm of doing a community one at a time, and so that means we're starting one every other year, and so there won't be another one starting until 2026. And so if you know that this is the time for you, you're going to want to apply right now. And if you would like to receive $50 off your application fee, there's a code, PODCAST20, that you can enter into your application, and you will get a reduced fee for your application. But I'm, I'm hoping that some of you will be prayerfully considering whether or not now is the time because two years is a long time to wait. And so if God is drawing you into this kind of community, don't wait, but instead apply right now. And even if you feel like you're not sure if this is the right time for you, but you feel God drawing you, just take the next step of applying and we'll walk with you in your discernment about whether or not we can make it work at this time in your life. So there's an invitation for you and we hope some of you will say yes and join us on the journey. Well, let's talk now. I feel like we've laid some really good foundation for our conversation. And now let's talk about the definition of suffering and distinguishing it from pain. Because I, like I said, that's been a new awareness for me over the last few years. And it's powerful sometimes to name something as being more than just painful, uh, Mm -hmm. to be able to name it. And you've already alluded to this, that to have somebody name it as suffering or for us to understand that it is suffering and it's not just Uh pain is really significant. And so would you uh, talk to us a little bit about the distinguishment that you see between pain and suffering and what suffering actually is? Well, you know, it's, it's, it's a great question. I, I'm thinking that our, our listeners could, I mean, I could ask you the same question. Mm -hmm. Because Job knew suffering long before we had, you know, mm-hmm. an American Medical Association definition yeah. of it. And mm-hmm. kind of technically, uh, we talk about pain as any distressing experience. Mm-hmm. That could be a physical distress. That could be an emotional distress, psychological distress. could be a distress of any number of different kinds. Mm-hmm. And, it, and, and that pain can be of a certain level of severity as well. It's the pain of a pinprick. It's the pain of somebody, you know, me falling and hitting my nose on something. Mm-hmm. It, it can be different levels. Suffering is how we respond to pain over time. Yeah. It's our response to pain over time. I can have a very, very sharp pain that lasts for 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. I could have a very, very low-grade headache that lasts for a week. And we might say, which one do you want? 
and this sense of suffering also has to do with 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 time how do we encounter our pain and respond to that over time and those things are shaped that suffering is shaped again this sounds all this all very very technical but you know it's shaped by a couple of things it's shaped by the degree to which we feel alone and isolated with the pain it is shaped by the story that we tell about the pain Mm -hmm. not just how long do we think it's going to last but what does this mean about my life and both of those things are shaped by the degree to which I have some sense of connection in community, some sense of connection to to God, some sense of connection to my community that can be present with me in the middle of that, which is, well, I, go, I go back to our conversation in 2017, mm-hmm. the one that you and I were having at that table, the felt sense of someone being with me necessarily shifts the story that I'm telling. Mm-hmm about the story that I'm in. Yes. So what you're really saying is that in some ways, it's the meaning that we place on things and the stories that we tell that Mm -hmm. actually in some ways creates or causes suffering, not to do a blaming sort of thing, because it's actually very hopeful, because it means that I can actually participate in alleviating my own suffering by, number one, choosing not to go it alone, and number Mm -hmm. two, allowing my story to be challenged a little bit. And to, yeah. to to perhaps even begin to tell a different story about it. I mean, that's actually deeply hopeful. Yeah, it is. I mean, I think of I, I, I think of Job's friends. I mean, they would have done well if they would have just shown up and said, like, dude, yes. we don't know what the heck's going on here. We don't know. <laughs> we have mm-hmm. no idea. But we're not leaving the room. Mm-hmm. Like, what can we do to help you? I don't know what you can do to help me. Nobody can help me with these boils. Nobody can bring my kids back. <laughs> yes. And they're like, I know this is really hard. We don't know. But they had a they had a hard time. Yes. They had their own distress that got activated, mm-hmm. which is why they've got to enter into telling him why they think he, you know, why he's in trouble. And so having people who can be present with us in ways that are uh you know, without without anxiety and without and without condemnation, but that are also at the ready when we are ready to consider telling a new story mm-hmm. about things yeah, without forcing that. And that's that, right. That takes a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the thing that I'm aware of too, is that sometimes we're really attached to our stories. Oh gosh. <laughs> and so the idea that we would allow a story to become dislodged and choose to consider that there's another way to look at this. There's another meaning that could be present here. That is huge. I love what you just said about when we're ready because we are attached to our stories and our stories give us identity and security and familiarity and all that. And so we might, it might take us a while to be ready to do the very thing that could alleviate our own suffering. Yeah. Woo. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I like, so I think in many respects, one of the things that I think that your work does, this, this is what strikes me about this is that, you know, storytelling, it's like making a movie there are lots of dimensions to make mm-hmm. a movie. Lots of things go into yeah. making a movie. Lots of things go into how we both, you know, how we both start to imagine and then begin to tell and then become committed to the story that I need to hold on to. And as such, it takes lots of patience on the part yes. of those who are sitting with me to help me 
untangle my story That's from right. my shame and from all, a whole mm-hmm. bunch of other things. And so that, that whole notion of how my suffering is attached to the way that I tell my story and the stories that I must hang on to is uh, not unimportant. No, that is, that is the deep weeds right there. Yeah. Well, we have so much to talk about. I'm going to keep us moving along. I'd like us to talk a little bit. I, I want to ask you, and I want to have a bit of a conversation here about some things that you say early in your book about why suffering has to, you know, you identify suffering as a key feature in our mm-hmm. transformation. Mm-hmm. And I want to say back to you, well, surely, well, you know, why is that? Surely God could have come up with a better plan for our transformation. And then and then later on you talk about, you know, that suffering serves a redemptive role in the human experience. And I would probably expand that to say, and in our transformation, that there's a real connection be- between our suffering and our transformation. But I thought it might be good to talk for a bit about why is that true? Do you have any, any thoughts on why it has to be a key feature in our transformation? Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. This is, I'm sure that Ruth, that there are many people who are better at talking about this than I am. Mm -hmm. I I know that I'm smarter about this, but here's, here is the model that I, that I live with. If you fall down, and if you fall down in, while you, you know, on the sidewalk while you're running and you're wearing shorts, you're likely to skin your knee. Mm-hmm. And one might say, why does gravity do what it does? We could come up with all kinds of mm-hmm. questions and, all, and, and attempt to answer that, to which I would say, you know, at some point, I don't know. I just know gravity is not something I can argue with. Mm-hmm. It's going to happen because yeah. it is the way the world is and my skin knee is an example of what happens when I go toe to toe with gravity. Mm-hmm. When I go toe to toe with the way the world is, is made to operate, this is what happens. And in some respects, we would say that suffering is the naturally expected outcome in a world that was made with the intention for such grandeur and beauty. And then we humans do what we do. Mm-hmm. And did what we did. Did what we there. did. Mm-hmm. Right. Did what we did. Do what we do. Mm-hmm. We, our suffering comes as a natural byproduct mm-hmm. of our living in the world in the way that we do. But thinking that somehow that when I fall down, when I trip, gravity should not be in play. Mm -hmm. And if it is, then I shouldn't skin my knee and so forth and so on. Now, this doesn't explain everything. But what I want to say is that to me, our suffering, the suffering of that woman who sat and said, why after 25 years is this still happening? We would say, this is what happens in a world in which your parents continue to behave badly Mm -hmm. even as they age as far as they are. This is what happens in the world in which we commit violence toward one another. This is what happens when we do these things to each other. And one might say, well, gosh, Kurt, that doesn't explain, you know, your three brothers who have died from cancer. That doesn't explain the, you know, the accidental auto accident that took somebody's child. All the things that that we can't, and you're, you're, you're absolutely right. I'm not trying to explain it. What I'm saying is that apparently we live in a world in which it is unavoidable. Mm -hmm. And I would say that our effort, my effort, to ask the question why, to ask the question for an explanation, 
is my attempt to avoid the suffering itself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There is no, like, you know, when the woman asks, why didn't my son come back from Iraq? Mm-hmm. Like, there's no answer that's going to solve that, that that's going to yeah. mm-hmm. commute that suffering. I don't have an answer for that. That question that we ask is a way for me to shout my anguish, mm-hmm. longing for someone to be present with me and who will stay in the room for as long as you, as for as long as my anguish exists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and you know, just as you were talking, I noticed in my own body that the acknowledgement of the fact that suffering is a part of our human experience caused me to relax with it. Mm-hmm. You normalized it. Like what you just yeah. said, normalize suffering versus me like defending against it. Like I can, when we talk about suffering, you can feel, you know, your body getting kind of tense. But then when you normalize yeah. it that way, you sort of relax, your shoulders come down and you say, okay, I'm going to stop fighting with this because yeah. it, is a, it is a norm of our human experience. And so now I can at least relax with it a little bit versus trying to keep myself from experiencing it. I think the avoidance, you know, avoiding facing the suffering itself by talking about it philosophically is, is absolutely right. You know, yeah. that it doesn't yeah. really do all that much good, but the, the being present does shift and change something. Well, and I think I, I said earlier that the Christian story is the only story that honors suffering. Mm-hmm. It does not. It does not glorify it, mm-hmm. right? We're not worshiping it, right? But we're honoring its place. We're saying it has a place in the world that God has made. Yeah. In this, and 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 what we mean by that is like when you look at Eastern metaphysics, Eastern metaphysics has a particular way of approaching suffering that, at the end of the day, sees it as really something that's a figment of our imagination. Mm-hmm. It's just something that in our mind. Mm. The Western metaphysics would say, it's real, it's only bad, we have to do everything to commute it. In fact, we've created a world in the West in which people believe they shouldn't suffer. And this is part of our, this is part of the plausibility structure within which we live that's tricky because at the same time that we rightly want to be doing everything we can to find a relief for COVID. Mm-hmm a relief for any and all of the things that we want to relieve in the world at the same time when we run up against the wall where we can't stop these things. Or even now, where people are suffering in ways that 20 years ago we would have said, that's not suffering, that's life. Mm. Part of the challenge is that we are in a space where we think we shouldn't suffer. And so therefore, there's something wrong with me or wrong with the world that suffering is happening at all, mm-hmm. which is where shame takes its opportunity to entangle itself with this process and why the presence of others in that suffering and acknowledging it and validating it is so important. Yeah. Well, and as you were talking, I was thinking, and we're going to talk about this as we get closer to Holy Week, but that phrase in the Luke 24 Emmaus Road walk where Jesus says, was it not necessary for the Messiah to suffer and then enter into his glory? That Mm -hmm. verse really, you know, speaks to what you were just saying, that you can't argue with suffering. If even Jesus himself it was necessary for him to suffer and then enter into his glory. Why do we think we would escape that? You know, Mm -hmm. that part of the human experience Mm -hmm. that Jesus entered into so fully. So I think there is deep truth here, you know, that I think, and I think that's, I I love that. I love your, you're bringing that up that, Mm -hmm. that sense that Jesus is 
is necessary to suffer, meaning necessary to enter into our suffering. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, he suffers primarily because he's coming for us. Mm -hmm. And and where he finds us is a bunch of violent people. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. We're creating all kinds of suffering for everybody else. That's right. And that was the road where the disciples were processing a deep suffering and a traumatic yeah. experience yeah. of having watched their teacher and friend be crucified. So right there, they're processing mm. suffering. So, I mean, it, I, I think it's a deep truth that this is a part of our spiritual unfolding, you know, wow. that yeah. suffering is a part yeah. of our spiritual unfolding. And okay, okay. You just said something that has really got my attention. That whole notion, wow, wow, that whole notion of Jesus saying what he said, I'm just thinking like, oh, if, if, if he's, if this man that we don't yet, you know, these two guys are walking with him, if it's necessary, just hearing, hearing that it's necessary for the Messiah to suffer, for you to say, Kurt, it's necessary for me to suffer. I can like I can imagine like I I suddenly am so much not alone with my own suffering. Mm. I mean, in the very speaking of this, there is a a joining, a withness, if you will. I I, I I've never I've not really mm. considered thought about that conversation and the way that that uh, speaks to this yeah. so powerfully. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you root your book in this passage from Romans 5, and I think that uh, this the passage from Romans 5, 1 through 5, actually speaks to these questions about the, the, the redemptive nature of suffering, why it's necessary, but why it's also redemptive. And because the rest of your book is, is really grounded in this passage, I want to take us a moment to read this passage. And you tend to use, or in your book, you use the NIV, and I use mm-hmm. the NRSV. And I thought it might be really powerful for our listeners to have us both read, for you to read from the NIV and for me to read from the NRSV, and just to let mm-hmm. this scripture be the place where we sort of settle into um, for mm-hmm. this season, and what the scriptures mm-hmm. actually have to say about the mm-hmm. nature of suffering and the redemptive mm-hmm. or the transformational um, power of mm-hmm. suffering, and, and this passage speaks to that very powerfully. So I was wondering if you would read the passage from the NIV, and then I will read it from the New Revised Standard. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. Romans 5, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And now from the NRSV. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. 
And hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. Thanks be to God. Amen. So, Kurt, I, I, I just love that scripture passage to ground this conversation in because it is really hopeful, again, that there is a role that suffering has to play um, in our formation of hope and in our transformational journey. So I want to pull out a couple of other concepts that you introduced in the early part of your book. One is you talk about durable hope, and I was really struck by that idea because we, we, we know how to talk about hope as Christians, you know, but durable hope. I, I really liked the addition of the word durable. Can you say something mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. durable hope and how that mm-hmm. maybe distinguishes a little bit mm-hmm. from just the word hope itself? Yeah. Well, I think it, it again, it gets back to the question of the material world. Mm-hmm. Athletes that are durable, long distance runners, mm-hmm. uh, weightlifters, uh, people, you know, these, they, they have durability Yeah. because they have suffered. Mm-hmm. They have durability because they have put in long, hard hours of work that require things of their body that their body does not want to do on its own. And we live in a world in which we think that hope is kind of, it's like it's hope is the thing that we hope happens. It's a thing that's going to maybe show up, maybe it's not going to show up. It's not a thing necessarily that I have an awareness of that I can create, that I can actually construct, that I can form. But the formation of that through these things that Paul writes is a way that when this this hope is not flimsy, this mm-hmm. hope becomes durable, this hope becomes more permanent, primarily because of the kind of work that we enter into when we acknowledge our suffering, which yeah. leads to perseverance, which leads to the development of character. Mm-hmm. Hope becomes a byproduct that is durable because of all the work that has preceded it. It is not a thing that stands on its own. And that's why we call it durable, because of the hard work that has come before it. Into a world in which we often don't imagine that hope like, is going gonna, is gonna to work like that. We just think it's yeah. the thing that, like, I should just have evidence of being hopeful, and therefore I am, I'm hopeful. And I think this is, this is where, as we'll talk about later, um, this is where the presence of community makes all the difference in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, we like to say that the brain when under duress, can do a lot of hard things for a really long time, as long as it doesn't have to do it by itself. Mm-hmm. Wow. Thank you. Well, and I'm thinking this durable hope actually distinguishes it from just mere optimism or, you know, a wish, a hoping and a praying, you know, mm-hmm. um, that's not based on anything, that it's more than that. I, I really do think that phrase is important because that's what we're after, isn't it, then, yeah. to to allow suffering to to form within us this durable hope that can stand up and can persevere and keep going. Is it similar to the idea of resiliency, which is very big in our culture right now? Would you put it in the same category or different? Or I think, again, you know, words are metaphors for, yeah. you know, things we're trying to get at. And I, I think that's not unrelated to that. I think mm-hmm. when people talk about resilient, people talk, and we went, as we'll see, when we talk about hope, we're talking about a feature of the mind's activity wherein which we anticipate the future. Mm-hmm. And we like to say in our work, in, in the, the field that I'm in, that we remember our future. Mm-hmm. That my future is a thing that I anticipate out of my remembered experience. And if my remembered experience is one of only trauma, in which only bad things happen, 
it's going to be hard for me to hope for anything different than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If if my experience is that in the middle of my suffering, someone comes to find me and primarily enables me to be present to them being present to me, even if my pain does not go away, if they persuade me that they're not leaving the room, my anticipation of my future includes them being in it, which necessarily allows me to imagine something very different in the future than me being alone with my trauma. Yeah. Well, and I think when I when I look at the subtitle of your book, Suffering and the Formation of Hope, oftentimes we think that suffering is going to demolish hope, that if we've mm-hmm, suffered deeply, mm-hmm. that, that, that that's going to, you know, devastate us in such a way mm-hmm. that we don't have hope. And I think that's what's so interesting about what you're doing with this book is that you're connecting suffering as being actually a part of how f- hope gets formed in us if we can mm-hmm. do something mm-hmm. different with it. You that's know? right. Yeah, I love Absolutely. it. Okay, one more thing for this episode, and that is you very clearly say in your book that you make no promises that we will suffer less, but that we will suffer differently. What is your vision for us suffering differently? I know I want that. Uh, (laughs) If I have to accept that I'm not going to suffer less, tell me how I can suffer differently. (laughs) Well, gosh, and I I think I even wrote in the book, like, why would I I buy a book on suffering? Unless it was going to tell me how I was going to be able to cut it out. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. I, I do think that, uh, I mean, I'm afraid of suffering. Let's just be honest. Like, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm scared of it. Mm-hmm. I don't like the idea. I don't relish the idea. Um, but I will tell you that, you know, and uh, we'll go back to that, that, that conversation at the mm-hmm. table that you and I had. Like, that's the kind of conversation that reminds me that suffering is something I don't have to be afraid of because someone is with me in it. And so that conversation that I had with you did not immediately alleviate all of my suffering. Mm-mm. But it was a conversation to which I repeatedly appealed to in my memory for weeks and months to come. That became a grounding, refining memory when I was tempted to wander back into places where my suffering would want to find me. And so there, we, we could talk forever and a day about people who suffer medically, you know, emotionally, with, you know, who, whose suffering does not stop, but whose suffering is mitigated. It is changed, it is shaped, and as such, so are they changed and shaped because of the presence of the body of Jesus in real time and space with real people and how that brings the real presence of Jesus himself into that space. And what we discover is that like what children need when they are born, they don't need a pain-free life. They need a life in which, even in the middle of their pain, their parents are not leaving them alone. Mm -hmm. This doesn't change. This is what Jesus coming to be with us, even in our suffering, is ultimately all about. Mm, Beautiful. Well, this has been a deep conversation, very foundational for everything that we're going to experience in the rest of the season. And I'm going to speak to our listeners directly right now and just say, I hope you will stay with us. Uh, We are swimming in the deep end of the pool, and we're going to keep swimming in the deep end of the pool. But I believe there is substance here that is going to change the way that we approach one of these most fundamental aspects of our humanity, and that is our suffering. Friends, I am really excited about what we're doing over on Patreon this season. 
Um, we know that um, in the Transforming Center, we believe in spiritual practices, that they open us to the work that only God can do. And then in Kurt's field, they will often call it the work, like, are you doing your work? They'll call it doing your work. And so we have created a segment for each episode that we're calling The Work. And this is the work that we can do in entering into some exercises that open us to God's transforming work. And in this case, many times God's healing work, um, God's formational work around uh, this idea of hope and a durable hope in our lives that carry us into a future with hope. And so, Kurt, I'm just so excited about the exercises that you're going to be offering us. And this week, uh, you're going to help us to name the suffering that we experience with a practice uh, so that we can really begin the journey of understanding how our suffering relates to spiritual formation. And so we're going to get really practical and concrete over on Patreon. Um, our conversations, I hope, are going to be inspiring and stirring, but they're going to be a little bit heady. But for the practical good stuff, we hope that you'll go over on Patreon and join Kurt as he guides us through these exercises. If you are not already a patron, but you are interested in hearing this conversation and the practice, I encourage you to go over to patreon.com slash transforming center to become a patron, or you can just go to the link that's in our show notes. Thank you, Kurt, for a really deep and, and really truly inspiring conversation. I cannot wait for all that's ahead for us in this season. Ruth, thanks so much. It's great to be together. Yeah.